I think it is. Preached out of Matthew 25 on Sunday, and tonight we're going to look at, no, I wasn't in 25. I was in, yeah, I was. I was in Matthew 25. And then uh, tonight we're going to be in Matthew 26, and uh, we're going to look, keep your Bibles open to this chapter. We're going to be going through, uh, it's a big chapter, it's got 75 verses in it, and we're going to go through quite a bit of it in the message, um, in the message tonight, so uh, we're going to start a new series, Lord willing, we'll stay here for uh, quite a little while here in, here on Wednesday nights, but uh, we're going to start a series tonight um, on, uh, we're really going to be studying through the book of First Peter, okay? Uh, but so why am I in Matthew, right? But uh, I done told all y'all Sunday we was going to be in a new series out of First Peter. We are, but I got to lay a little bit of groundwork tonight, and so that's why we're in Matthew chapter number twenty-six. We're going to lay some groundwork for the rest of the series, okay? And uh, the rest of the series will come from First Peter, uh, but uh, we're going to look at Peter here in the Gospel of Matthew tonight. And uh, so what what uh, what I'm looking to do over the next several weeks is is look at this uh, um, trial of our faith, trial of your faith. And we're going to look at that through the book of First Peter. But more, uh, more uh, um, I guess, more detail, we're going to look at it through the life of Peter. And uh, there's a reason why uh, the, the subject in First and Second Peter is the trial of your faith. It's because he really went through some stuff. And, uh, and so we're going to study Peter. We're going to study his, his epistle here. But we're going to start right here in uh, Matthew chapter number 26. And I'll look at this for a little while tonight. So uh, if you found your place, let's stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. I'm only going to read uh, five verses right here, but we're going to stay in this chapter and go through a lot of Scripture tonight. The Bible says here in Matthew chapter 26, look in verse number 31. And the Bible says this, it says, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. You just think about that for a second. They're all sitting around there. Jesus, Jesus says all men. And then here comes Peter. Uh, No, no, I'm not going to. Everybody else is going to be offended, but not me. He's talking to the Son of God. Isn't that just comical? And Jesus said unto him in verse 34, Verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Look at this, verse 35, Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise, also said all the disciples. They all sat there, said, oh no, Jesus. Oh no, we're not gonna deny you. Well, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? And so uh, thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight here. And uh, we're gonna take... This, uh, these five verses and, and, and use that as a launching pad. And we're going to read a lot of scripture in this chapter. But, you know, our relationship, we're all, this is all talking about faith here. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is established in a moment of faith. And the very minute that a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, 
they are instantly a child of God. Okay? It's not a process. It's not, you know, it's not you go and put in an application and you wait for it to be approved and then, and then it, you know, somebody reviews you and then you may or may not get it. No. When someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ in that moment, they are saved and they are a child of God. Now, there is a process of sanctification in people's lives, but honey, let me tell you, you're just as much saved today as you were the day you got saved. That's the Bible. That's how it works. And so, um, Jesus, uh, well, let me read you this verse. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And I can say amen to that. What love God has for us and we could even be saved, that we could even be adopted into the family. What happened? What was the cost of that? Well, it was Jesus giving his life as a sacrifice. That's how we are able to be adopted sons of God. Now, Jesus referred to salvation in John chapter 3 as a new birth. And, you know, when you think about that from our physical birth uh, and on, life can be filled with all sorts of challenges and difficulties. In the book of Job, it even says that a man born uh, of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's how our lives are. But let me tell you, just as in the physical realm or the physical life, so is the same as a spiritual life. When you get that new birth and you are born into the spiritual family of God, it doesn't take long for challenges and trials and, and tribulation to come your way. And our new life in the Christian journey is going to be tested. And the book of 1 Peter was written to help us successfully maneuver through the fiery trials that's going to come our way as the children of God. And God used the apostle Peter to author that book or those books, those two epistles, because Peter had learned some things about walking through fire the hard way. And that is through experience. Someone, I've, I've heard this said, someone said that uh, experience is the best teacher. Now, I, I don't really know if I agree with that or not. And, and the reason I say that is the best teacher uh, is the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes when we, when we, are, when we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, uh, we're far better off than learning the hard way through experience. The sad thing is most of us do learn the hard way through experience. And that's why people say that's the best teacher. Why? Because generally when we learn something the hard way, we're not going to repeat it. We're going to remember the trouble that it caused us. And so that's why I understand why somebody said that. But the best way is to just learn through the Holy Spirit, learn through the Word of God, and not have to go through the heartache that comes with learning the hard way. And so, uh, but, but Peter, he, he learned his lessons well. And, and uh, when we, before, we get to the, uh, before we get to the author's conclusion in the book of 1 Peter, I want to take a quick look tonight at, uh, at, in this lesson at a time when Peter's personal faith was being tested. And that's what we find here in the book of Matthew chapter number 26. And, and so looking at, Peter's pilgrimage will help us understand the instruction we're going to receive from him 
later on into the series here. So I want you to notice number one tonight. I want you to notice a brash exclamation, a brash exclamation. We might boldly say that, that our Christian life is strong and mature. Like Peter, we might even predict that we will never fall or never lose our testimonies. But let me tell you something. We must be very careful because we have to walk our talk. And a lot of people don't. And so I want, you to, I want you to notice this in our text verse tonight, what I've already read, these five verses, we find a prideful prediction. You can sense the pride here in Peter's spirit. He's not going to fail. Oh, no, Lord. I know what you're saying, but I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to fall. Although everybody else may fall, I'm not going to fall. He, he, he essentially, you know, you could think about it like this. Others could blow it, but uh, others might blow it, but not Peter. He's, he's, he's with Jesus till the end. And so he's invincible. He's never going to let the Lord down. But y'all know the Bible tells us that pride is a recipe for disaster. Let me give you a couple verses that we all ought to know by heart tonight. That's Proverbs 16, 18, where the Bible says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We can apply that to Peter's uh, life right here in these verses. We see what he is saying, and I'm like, mm -mm, No, son, you're going to fall. And then we read about him falling. That's where we're going tonight. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 tells us this, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. What's that mean? That means when you get to a point when you're puffed up and when you're putting your chest out and you're saying, Lord, no, I'm a strong Christian. That never happened to me. You better watch out because your feet are getting ready to disappear. And that's what happened to Peter here. So we find a prideful prediction, but we also find a pitiful practice. I said just a minute ago, you better be careful at what you boast about because you got to walk the talk. So let's look a little bit about Peter's walking. Uh, if you look in the very next section of verses here, look in verse number 36. This is right after Peter is saying, oh no, Jesus, I'm not going to fail you. Let's, let's read. The Bible says uh, in verse number 36, look at what it says. It says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same 
words. So we can already see here that Peter's walk is not matching his talk. Peter had talked big, but he couldn't back it up. And, and, and the test had come sooner than he thought. And Peter miserably failed right here. And sometimes teachers don't always let their students know when they're going to have a test. They want to make sure their students are always thinking and always studying their notes. And, and every student, let me just put it this way, every student would pass every course if they knew when the test was coming and knew what would be on the test. That isn't the way life operates though, is it? So often the test comes when we least expect them. And we must always be ready. That's why it's so important that you and I realize that we can't survive the trials of life on our own. We're going to need more than just our ability to get through the trials of life. I know this because the Bible tells us in John chapter 15 verse 5, For without me ye can do nothing. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says this, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. What about 1 Corinthians 15, 10? The Bible says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So guess what? It ain't us. It ain't our strength. We must rely on God. And so we see here, that there was a pitiful practice. But then we also see, reading on in these verses, that there is a pathetic panic. There's a pathetic panic. Let's read on about the man that said he would never fall. He would never fail. He would never deny God. So look in verse number 45. The Bible says this, Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now. See, he's already, he told them one time, stay awake, watch, pray that you not enter into temptation. Goes away a second time, comes back, they're asleep. The Bible says he goes again and prays the third time and he comes back. And what's he say? He says, sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Can you imagine what's going on right here and those disciples are around Jesus and, and just, just look at everything that is happening right here. And they can't hold their eyes open. Verse 47 says this, And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayeth him, or betrayed him, gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus, he came to Jesus there and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Who was that? It was Peter. Verse 52 says, Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into this place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. 
Thinkest thou that I cannot? I mean, can you just be, I mean, seriously, just put yourself in this position. Jesus is a little hot right here. I think he got aggravated at Peter, don't y'all? Look at what he said. He's, I mean, I, I'm just sitting here thinking, he's had enough old Peter at this point. Peter's sitting here saying, oh, Lord, no, I'll never fail you. I'll never deny you. I'll never fall by the wayside. He can't stay awake long enough to pray. And now the, 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 the hot-headed dude that, that, always, that always acted before he thought, he's took a sword and he's cut a guy's ear off. I, I can sense Jesus getting a little aggravated. Look at what he says. Verse 53, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? And that same hour said Jesus to the multitude, are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And look at this. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. All of them. Now if you remember when we started tonight in the text, all of them. Now Peter was front and center, but all of them said, No, Jesus. No, we'll not, we'll not forsake you. We'll not turn tail and run and look at what they're doing. Now, Jesus here, in response to what Peter does, he looks at Peter and he just says, you know, it, it, it's like, Peter, where you been, man? I don't need you to cut people's ears off. Don't you know I can pray to my Father and have 12 legions of angels just like that? He could. It's almost as if he said, have you not learned anything? Yeah. And this What we're seeing here is a classic overreaction, by the way. Not on Jesus' part. I'm talking about Peter here. Often when we fail, instead of admitting it, we overreact to cover ourselves. So Peter's already feeling really bad, probably, because he couldn't stay awake. So here, oh, he's, on, he's on alert now. You're going to mess with Jesus? No, you ain't. He's going to be the hero. But he ain't no hero. He's still prideful. Peter, Peter was a classic example of he, he had good intentions. <laughs> he just went about it the wrong way. You know? And, and you know what? This is part of our sinful nature. Uh, we see it in the first family who ever lived on earth. Uh, instead of admitting their sin when confronted by God, Adam and Eve blamed someone else, didn't they? Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve. Adam even blamed God. That was pretty wild. He says, the woman thou... I mean, he didn't just say, my wife made me do it. No, he didn't say it. He, he put the blame on her, but how did he put the blame on her? He said, the woman thou hast given me. I could just hear him now in his mind. Well, God, if you hadn't never gave me her, she wouldn't have tempted me to have to... It's your fault, Adam. Own it. Yeah. But he didn't. We always play the blame game, don't we? 
Think about it. Cain foolishly threw a question back at God when asked where Abel was. And God asked, asked Cain about where his brother was. What did he say? Sarcastically. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, I don't know where he's at. Hmm. Cain knew, it, knew good and well where he was at. He was guilty. But yeah, that's how he responded. And this pattern of blame shifting has always been passed down for generations today. And we, we often, even today, follow the same sinful patterns. Instead of being honest, what we do is we complicate the matter further by foolishly trying to cover up our mistake. We do. Like Peter, here's what we need to learn. We need to learn that our relationship with Christ must be deeper than mere words. Yeah. Our relationship with Christ must be part of our every, our very being, our very character. And too often, listen to me tonight, we sing the right songs, we pray the right prayers, we give the right testimonies at church, but when the test comes our way, our head knowledge of God hasn't affected our heart. And we fail the test. That's what we see with Peter right here. We can't afford to simply make decisions at an altar unless we are willing to live out those decisions in our daily lives. And that's how it is. Most people, whatever they get around the altar for, they done forgot it by the time they get out the door. Something happens between that altar and that door. You know, it's the truth. And so we have to be careful of that. So number two tonight, I want you to notice a brutal examination, a brutal examination. Sometimes we underestimate the devil, don't we? He watches, I, I, and it kills me. I see all these people, all these people posting stuff on, on, on social media about binding Satan and, and, and just, just declaring his defeat. And I know, I know, I get when he bothers me, I love to remind him about his future. Yeah. I do. And I, I hope you understand what I'm saying, but the, the fact of the matter is sometimes, hey, if we, if we ain't where we ought to be with God, you better watch what you're saying about the devil. As you can't take him on in your own strength. A lot of people do that. I see these charismatic preachers get up. I bind these. I'm like, who are? And honestly, I'm just sitting here picturing Satan. Look at him and say, who do you think you are? We have no power outside of Jesus. We have no strength outside of Jesus. You better watch out. What it does is it, it causes us to underestimate the devil. He watches carefully as we make our decisions for Christ. He hears our prayers. He sees our daily commitments. I'm going to be real with you. When I'm at home, I don't pray out loud. Don't take this the wrong way. Please don't. I pray certain things out loud and other things. You know why? So the devil can't hear them. He can't read my mind. He's not all-knowing like God is. But you better believe he's around listening 
and watching. Some of y'all done looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm telling you the truth, though. It's the truth. You better watch what you say out loud. It doesn't matter. Hey, I'm telling you, those very things that you get honest with God about, and we should be honest with God about them, but if you in a closet somewhere, or you beside your bed at home, and you're just praying out loud, you better watch out. Devil's liable to take those things and use them against you in a test, in a trial. It's the truth. At some point... He's going to choose to put our faith to the test. I'm not talking about God right now. I'm talking about the devil. He's going to see if we can walk through the fire. Right, this 1 Thessalonians 3.5 says this, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through this subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Let me tell you, every time you make a decision, the devil paints another target on your back. It's interesting to note from these verses that Satan doesn't care which arrow he uses to kill your testimony. Paul speaks of the devil using any means or some means. And with some, he may use the lust of the flesh, while others, he may use fear or he may use worry. Listen, the devil doesn't have favorite weapons. He'll use whatever works to devour us. And you know how he figures out what works on us? By listening. I think Peter knew from experience when God inspired him to write over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Peter knew that. Peter had several times, we're reading some of them tonight, when he was not sober and he was not vigilant and the devil got him. So let's examine what happened with Peter. We find a few things here. Look in verse number 57. We find a worldly crowd. Where the Bible says in verse 57, chapter 26 of the book of Matthew, And they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death but found none, yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answering thou nothing, what is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be Christ the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. 
Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit on his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Literally, they would go around and punch him and then taunt him to tell him who it was. And so we find a worldly crowd right here. And let me go ahead and tell you with, with these verses, there is a crowd that hates Jesus and all who are associated with Jesus. And let me tell you, it's not going to take very long. It's not going to be very long until Satan brings your testimony into contact with them and test your faith. John chapter 15, verse 18 and 19 says this, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Let me give you some verses on why the world will hate you. This is why the worldly crowd will hate you. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. John 1.11 says he came unto his own and his own received him not. John chapter 3 verse 19 and 20 says And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. We should never be surprised when the enemy attacks. Satan had the nerve to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ over in Matthew 4. Go home and y'all probably already know about all that. And I've, preached, I've preached one or two messages about it myself. But Satan had the nerve to tempt the Lord Jesus. He's not going to give you and me a, a pass. That's how desperate the devil is. He even tried to trip up Jesus. Mm. Sometimes he's going to use those who are closest to you. He's going to use your friends. He's going to use your family members. He's going to use all of those to test your faith. Might as well be ready. It's going to happen. So look here. We also find a witnessed connection. This is very important to understand. Look in verse number 69. The Bible says, Now Peter... Now Peter sat without in the palace. And a damsel came unto him saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. You know what it's talking about right there? He says you, you can tell a difference. Yeah. They knew Peter was with Christ. They knew he was one of them. 
They knew he was one of them. Have you ever seen someone who's intoxicated try to act sober? You ever watch cops? You ever watch cops? You've seen plenty of that. They get out of the car. No, officer, I've not had anything to drink. And yet they can't even stand up straight. Cops like, uh, you sure, son? Yes. And they'll, they'll make an oath, right? <laughs> Just like Peter did here. No, I've not, no, not had anything to drink. Guess what, though? We may try to walk straight. They may try to speak clearly. But it is impossible to do so when they're under the influence. When we trust Christ as our Savior... The Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. And guess what? We are under His influence. The Bible says, Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Listen to me, child of God. Just like Peter here, you can try to act like the world, but the truth is, you're a new person in Christ. The world can tell that something is different about a Christian even when they try to live in denial. Peter couldn't fool these people. They had already seen Peter. His speech was different. I thought that was funny over in, over in uh, 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 I can't remember, it's Mark or Luke's gospel, maybe Luke's gospel. We find that Peter started cursing at them. Why? To try to act more like the world. But they done pegged him. They knew he was one of the disciples. His speech done gave him up. He tried to change that. His association done gave him up. He tried to change that. He followed Jesus afar off at that point. Now let me tell you something. That's something very important we need to understand. If the Holy Ghost is living inside of you, He's bound to come out eventually. These people walking around that say they're Christians and they've never had one thing change about their life and they can go out here and drink and cuss and, and, and just do everything that they did before salvation. Honey, there is something wrong with that picture. There's something wrong with that picture. Like I said, the world can tell that something is different about a Christian even if they're trying to live in denial. So here we find something else here. We find a wicked cover-up. Look at verse number 74. Oh, here we are. This is where I was trying to talk about a while ago. I skimmed through my Bible just a second ago and I thought that was in another gospel. But no, it says right here, Thy speech berayeth thee. And then look at verse 74, a wicked cover-up. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. You got Christians out here think they can talk any other way that they want to. What about Peter here? They said, Peter, your speech gives you up as a Christian. And what's the first thing he does? He starts cussing and swearing at them to try to make himself seem like he had nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah, just think about that next time you want to go out and say whatever you want to say. I don't think any of y'all have that problem. But I'm just throwing it out there while we're here in Scripture. When our relationship with God ain't right, anything can happen. None of us are exempt from blowing our testimony. That's exactly what Peter's doing right here. 
When we read of the lives of Lot, Samson, David, we realize how easy it is to fall. I'll go ahead and add this too. If David can fall and Samson can fall and Lot can fall and Peter can fall, you and I most certainly can fall. I've often said it like this. There's been far greater men that's walked this earth that has fallen off the wagon than I'll ever be. And you know one problem that they all had at some point? (laughs) Pride. Pride goeth before destruction. Mm. Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it always costs you more than you want to pay. Thirdly tonight... Let's look at a bitter exposure. I gotta hurry up. I got a lot more left. Hmm. I'm gonna keep you all night. A bitter exposure. We must never forget that God sees us for who we really are. You can't hide from him. Can't hide from his presence. First Samuel sixteen seven said this, but Lord saith unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. What about Psalm 90, verse 8? Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. What about Psalm 69, 5? O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. Man, I can keep going and keep going and keep going. So we see, we see here a bitter exposure. I want you to notice in, in verse number 34, in verse number 74, we find a warning. We're talking about a, a bitter exposure here. In, in verse 34, it says, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And then look in verse number 74. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew. Hmm. Yeah. You know, God don't speak today in an audible voice to us, but He has spoken through His written Word. It's through His Word that He faithfully warns us. The wise person stays under the constant influence of His Word through personal devotions and preaching. It does. Psalm 119, uh, verse 9, 10, 11 says this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You want to protect yourself from sin? Right here's the key. His written word. His word. Proverbs 13, 13 says, Whoso despises the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. Let me ask you, are you in daily contact with God? By the way, busyness is no excuse. Remember, we don't know when the test is coming. We better be ready for it. A daily time in God's word will warn us and it will equip us for the battles that lie ahead through the day and through the week.
So we, we see warning in this passage, but we also see weeping. Look at verse number 75. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Yeah. Uh, he broke. Mm-hmm. He finally broke. There's always a price for sin, and in Peter's case, that price came very quickly as the Lord immediately looked in his direction. Peter's tra- Peter, Peter is following him afar off. He sees everything that happens there at his trial. He sees him beat him. He sees him hurt. And then, mm, could you just imagine those eyes? Here comes Jesus with the guards. They've got him bound. He's been beaten. No doubt he's bloody. He walks out there right after the cock crow. There's Peter. Maybe nobody else knows where he's at. And Jesus looks straight at him. Mm. Killed Peter. Kill any one of us. Could you imagine that? That look of disappointment. There's no doubt it was a greater punishment than anything Peter could have experienced. I believe that. That look. Peter knew. Peter knew. You know, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 tells us this. It says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. What about 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 and 10? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Hey, it's, it's easy to push the warning to the side, but look ahead. I'm going to be real with you. I don't want to experience what Peter experienced right here. I don't want to experience that. So here's the, here's the message right here. Don't let God waste his breath. If he's speaking, a wise man's going to hear him. A wise man's going to heed what he says. That takes us into a bold example. Promise. I'm almost done. A bold example. Peter teaches us you think at this point, I mean, the stare from Jesus would have been enough. I mean, I, I, I'm sure it would have had to feel like one of the largest boulders just crushing Peter. But then I'm also 100% sure. I know the Bible don't say it. I'm 100% sure. Here comes the devil. Because the devil's done sat around and watched what happened. The devil was what had got Peter in, in, in the beginning to, to be so proudful. Oh God, I'll never forsake you. Everybody can run away from you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to deny you. And so I guarantee you, about that time Jesus looked at him, the devil was right there in his ear. Oh, Peter, you done did it now. There ain't no coming back from this, Peter. You really messed up. 
Just think, the last thing that Jesus said to you, he was scolding you. And now this? Yeah. But you know what Peter teaches us? He teaches us that we should never quit because of a failure. The devil wants us to give up. But God is a God of second chances. Don't quit because you failed a test. Trust me, there's time to bring your grade up in the class of life. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. So what we find here is a forgiving Savior. Over in the Gospel, Mark chapter 16, verse 7 says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, but go your way. He's, he's risen now. He says, but go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said unto you. See, Jesus had risen from the dead and no doubt many things are on his mind as he begins to reveal himself to those around him. But you know what he does? As he sends the word to his disciples, he mentions Peter specifically by name, I believe, to indicate that he didn't give up on him. You know God delights in using broken people. That's all he's got to work with. We're all imperfect. We need to remember that. I, I heard, got into a little bit of controversy and it's, it's become obvious that, you know, some people, you know, they'll, they'll only, I, I'm not like this. I, I hope y'all don't look down at me over it, but, uh, I don't have to see eye to eye with the person I'm reading after. I don't have to see eye to eye with the person who wrote the lyrics to the song I'm listening to. If I had to, I'd have about that many songs I listen to. Because guess what, honey? Not everybody believes just like we do. I believe there's going to be a whole lot of good people in heaven that don't believe like I do. Now, don't, hear me, don't get me wrong. There ain't but one way to heaven. But people have their ways and people have their variations in belief. And I'm going to tell you something. Everything in that church hymnal was written by a whole bunch of people that don't believe like we do. But God used them. You know why? They're imperfect. I ain't perfect. Y'all ain't perfect. People who wrote these songs ain't perfect. Man that writes a book ain't perfect. You know why? Because all God has is imperfect people to work with. If you don't believe that, let me give you some ideas. Much of our Bible was written by murderers. You think about it. Moses killed an Egyptian. Yet God used, and I, and I mean, he killed an Egyptian at not the command of God. Yet God used him to pen the first five books of our Bible. David had Uriah murdered. Had Uriah murdered. But God used him later to write many of the Psalms. Paul had slaughtered countless number of Christians in the early church. Yet after his conversion, he was used to write most of the letters to the churches. Let me even tell you this. Psalm chapter 51 was written by a man in sin. 
It was written right after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed and tried to cover up the whole thing. You going to throw that out? People say some funny things. But here's my, here's my message. Here, here's what I want you to understand. We're all imperfect. And God has nothing but imperfect people to use. Just like Peter. God gets all the glory when broken lives are made whole and used for His glory. Later on, what do we find out of Peter? We find a faithful servant. In Acts chapter 2, verse 12 through 16, the Bible says this, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Let me tell you something. God's forgiveness motivated Peter to be faithful. And the look that Jesus gave him made him, no doubt, stayed in his mind until the day he died. He never wanted to disappoint his Savior like that ever again. And you know what a thrill it must have been for Peter to stand in boldness on the day of Pentecost, preach God's word, and see 3,000 people respond to his message. Can you just imagine that? Failure is not final. It never has been. Peter had experienced God's forgiveness, and so can we. Yeah. I'm going to read you a finishing statement, and I'll be done. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says this. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him... Be glory both now and forever. Amen. It's the closing words to Second Peter. Peter's learned something. When Peter closed the second of his two epistles, he was allowed to give some advice to each and every one of us. He learned the hard way, but because of God's grace, he didn't give up. In verse 17 there, he tells us to be aware. And in verse 18, he says to keep advancing. No doubt... Peter wished he had heeded that very same advice earlier in his life. But here's the thing. If God's speaking to you today, be aware. If you've blown it, get back up. Keep on advancing. Christian life is a marathon. There is time for you to get back in the race and finish strong. Peter did. What's the moral of the story, preacher? Peter did. And so can we. Let's all stand by our heads, close our eyes tonight.